0: Last week we talked about giving God glory, that we're called by, by all of Scripture to give God glory in not just some things, not just on Sunday mornings, but in everything that we do, in all things, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. I, I had a great little conversation after the service with uh, a teenager who sat in and heard the message that day, and uh, I said, so, did it happen? And she knew exactly what I was talking about because I've been asking that question every time I've seen her in recent months. Her her parents and her have been searching for a horse for her. And they finally, she said, yes, it happened. Her eyes lit up. And she says, we bought the horse. And I said, what is his name? Monkey. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, that's unfortunate. (laughs) She said, yeah, he came with a name. That was his name. I'm like, that's unfortunate. And after she just heard the sermon, this was on my brain, I said, you know what? you could ride just for yourself, or you could ride your horse for the glory of God. And her eyes lit up. It could turn something as mundane as riding a horse, as miserable as riding a horse. It's miserable riding a horse, isn't it? It could turn it into something glorious. And and, and when we think about us as as a church together, as a community, how much more joyful and exciting and adventurous would it be if we would actually do it for God's glory, as opposed to doing it for ourselves, just to kind of scratch a religious itch that we have somehow, but that we're living lives together for the glory and the greatness of our name, the name of our God. And so as, as we think about our mission and vision as a church, we want to keep this in the foreground. I don't know if you've thought about it this way, but you are a little bit like Rocky Balboa, didn't think that before, did you? Well, you resemble him a little bit, just a little bit. (laughs) Adrian! (laughs) Because you carry the weight of glory. You're a heavyweight. You're a heavyweight, and this church is a heavyweight kind of church. We carry the weight of God's glory, and that means everything that we do matters, and and that everything we do carries and, and is to glorify our God. And so, for the glory of God, our vision is to connect deeply, grow fully, and serve passionately. And again, our mission statement, we we are on mission to become a community of fully equipped and empowered followers of Jesus, bringing his healing, hope, and compassion to the tri-cities and beyond. Now, this morning, I want to take a a, a little bit of a deeper look at the the, the last three phrases in our vision statement that that connect, serve, and grow, and serve part of our vision— What might it look like for us to connect connect deeply and to to grow fully and to serve passionately? Before we do that, I'd like to unpack some of how our elders and our kind of vision task force got to this point. I mean, we looked at four things that helped guide us through this process. First, we looked at some of the unique ways that God has been shaping us as a congregation. Like how, how he's been making us and wiring us. Uh, what, what is our kind of personality? What is our gifting? What has he been doing already? Um, one of my good pastor friends, many of you know him well, David Wood. He's been coming and speaking at Hillside three or four times a year for, for many, many years. And uh, he knows our church very well. He loves our church. And when we we're in this vision process, I said to Dave, I said, Dave, just tell me, what, what do you think of when you think of our church? And he says, Oh, I love your church. And he says, you are a, a welcoming community, you're a warm community, and you're a worshiping community. And I, th- I think he nailed a lot of who we are there, that we're, we're a church that cares about people, that, that uh, welcomes uh, people. We think of church in personal ways, that we're not simply an organization. We're much more than that. We're family. Um, we're welcoming. I think that's helped lead to our diversity, uh, the fact that there is room here, for different cultures, uh, different backgrounds, different generations. Um, On top of that, I think we're marked by compassion and caring. That's become a a growing sense of who we are. And and, and all you have to do is think about our 10 years of involvement in that village in Seiji, Kenya, the development, the uh, remarkable work that we did there. Um, And then I think of, of the offering we took at Christmas Eve last year, For refugee care and and to raise all that money in one night just to 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 reach out to those who are are new new to our country or coming to our country i think of our partnership with local organizations like share and journey home and pregnancy concerns secondly we looked at the community we live in the greater tri-cities we identified just how much need there is and brokenness there is in our neighborhood in our greater vancouver region i mean relationships that are that are struggling, uh, marriages that are, are broken, families really, really going through lots of difficulty. I think of so many, many, a number in this church who are, are wrestling with issues like depression or with this profound sense of isolation or disconnection or loneliness. Um, there are a lot of new immigrants and new Canadians that are struggling to find their place in, in our city um, this is actually from what we hear. We are a welcoming on one hand, come on in, Canadians say, but don't come into our homes. We're, we're seeing immigrants that are coming from communal cultures and, and coming into a very individualistic, cocoon-like culture, and they're going, I'm coming here, but I'm so lonely. Nobody, nobody knows my name. I, 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 don't, you know, I don't have that kind of connection. We also, I think, one of the reasons why we maybe aren't as welcoming as we could be in terms of hospitality is that we're so busy. We are such a busy people. Uh, people are having to, to uh, married couples, families, both are, both are usually having to work now. Our commutes are, are long. I mean, people used to move to this region because we are the, the land of leisure and recreation. Um, whatever happened to that? Well, housing prices took care of that issue. Everybody has to work so hard to pay to live here, right? Something like that. We also live in a challenging spiritual environment. People are, are spiritually interested, but they're generally suspicious of the church. And then we looked at our resources as a church. It's no question we have a gifted and diverse people. We have a, a spirit of generosity in this church, and our finances are in order. Uh, virtually, we're debt-free. We're paying our bills month to month. We're okay that way, and we're actually giving money away. Um, we have and value a, a, an energy in, in terms of our faith. We come here believing that God wants us to step out of the box and do things. We have growing small groups. We have a, a welcoming and accepting environment. We, we have a good base of volunteers, a good percentage of the people who attend Hillside actually volunteer at Hillside in some way. We, I think of our facility. Yeah, there's some downsides to our facility. We're sometimes too small, we're cramped, it's, it's aging. But at the same time, we're, we're right on the main drag. People actually drive by this church very regularly. And, and we're actually, as elders, contemplating a, a fairly major uh, refreshing of our facility this fall. We're talking about that because we would love to have this building actually look like a church so that when people drive by, they actually notice because it's kind of almost low-hanging fruit, folks. It's an unexploited opportunity. People drive by, they, don't, they look at this, and they don't quite know what this building is. We want to change that because we're situated really, really well in our neighborhood. That's, that's, we, we've got lots of resources, folks. Finally, we looked at our dreams. As, we, as we've listened to the hearts of our congregation and our leadership, there's been this, I'd say, growing heart for the broken. God's been growing our, our hearts in that way, and we've heard dreams to see God bring his wholeness to our community, seeing relationships restored and and families strengthened, seeing seeing poverty of spirit and poverty of body addressed, seeing people come to Christ, but not just come to Christ, but also finding God transforming every area of their lives. And, and And there's this dream, we talked about it last week, this dream of seeing every single person so equipped and resourced and empowered by the Holy Spirit, so unbound and freed up so that you'll be a change agent in your life. Wherever you go, you'll bring the presence and the light of Christ. Instead of one big light as a church, we'll be a lot of little lights lighting up the Tri-Cities. Isn't that a good dream, folks? I think it's a good dream. And so out of that came a a vision that took shape. You take those pieces, and they kind of point us in a direction. And and I think we are, are both passionate about uh, you know, reaching out to those in our, in our community, places and, uh, where there's injustice and brokenness and those kind of things. I think we're well positioned to dream and to f- pursue our dreams in this area, to, to actually be change agents in our neighborhood. And so, again, we are on a mission to become a community of fully equipped and empowered followers of Jesus, bringing his healing, his hope, and his, his compassion to the Tri Cities. And beyond. And then our vision. Would you read it aloud with me? It's on the top of your screen. It's right there in the top. For the glory of God, connect deeply, grow fully, serve passionately. So with the rest of our time, what it might it look like to connect deeply, grow fully, and serve passionately? Connecting deeply. As I was uh, considering this phrase, I, I had a very familiar scripture come to mind. It's this uh, description of the early church that we find in Acts chapter 2, 42. It says, the early church, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, Every day they continued to meet together, with, meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What an amazing picture of the church. Notice uh, all the, the connecting that was going on in these verses. It's, it's all throughout uh, this connecting with God and is connecting with one another. Look at the God connections. We're told they were devoted to God's Word. They, they, their gatherings kind of centered their, around God's Word because they were hungry to know everything that God wanted to teach them about life. Somehow they knew that, that the Apostles' teaching, gathering around the Scripture, was the key to unlocking, that, uh, uh, having a, a, a grounded view of reality. And they were centered on this life of of connection to God in in a very particular expression we'd call prayer. They were a prayerful community. They prayed together. And they were in awe, it says, because of all the signs and wonders that were taking place. That's Bible speak for the awesome things that God was doing in their midst. God was doing all kinds of of wonderful things, signs and wonders, signs because they pointed to God. And, And through it all, it says, they were praising God And the church grew. So there was these beautiful God connections happening, what you might call the the vertical connection that was was taking place. But they were also marked very clearly by these horizontal connections. This this passage doesn't even try to separate them. They're all together here. They were becoming known for their their togetherness. They spent time together. They shared. they, They cared for one another, sacrificially cared for one another. It wasn't, I, I will just pray for you. They would go home, they'd hear about a need, and they would sell surplus property. They'd cash in their, their savings bond. They would, they, they would, <laughs> I think if they had Craigslist in their day, they would go on Craigslist and sell something they didn't need so they could give the money to a friend or a brother in need. Isn't that cool? Have you ever sold anything you, you, you maybe needed or didn't need on Craigslist so you could give money away? I, I think that'd be a great response to this message would be to go and Get rid of something you don't need to help somebody else. We've been talking a lot in this season about small groups. Listen to the description of their small group program. I think this is a great description, really simple. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, it goes without saying that you know that I love the fact that they ate together. (laughs) That's a... uh, that's a beautiful picture of the church, isn't it? <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of eating going on in the Bible, a lot of feasting, uh, and there was a lot of eating going on in the early church. And I just, but I, I do think it is powerful when we break bread together, when we eat meals together. And I, we encourage our, our small groups to actually, uh, along the way, have these moments where they just eat a meal together and enjoy each other's company. But what really gets me is that last phrase about them having glad and sincere hearts, They were saying that that there is gladness, there is is joy when we step out of, of isolation and we step into family, into Christian community. Let me ask you, have you ever experienced that kind of joy? I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking about how Angel and I have pretty much regularly been a part of a small group for the last, like before we were married, like 26 years or so we've been attending Some kind of home group, some kind of small group. And I got we gotta say it's a core part of our kind of life-giving rhythm practice trellis of of staying connected with God has been being part of some kind of small group. It's it's a core part of, of of our Christian spirituality, I would say. Now let me say it's not always been awesome. It's not always been wine and roses, it's not always been, you know, this unbearable lightness of being. Sometimes home groups are hard. Um, There have been nights I think where we uh, we haven't felt like going, and uh, you know we're just going. I just I don't know about you. I'm just. I wish we could just stay home and watch Netflix tonight. You know, or uh, back a few years, uh, watch a VHS tape. Do you know what that is? (laughs) VHS. Back in the day, we used to watch those. But you know, I I found that even us extrovert types actually get tired of people. Just like you introverts who are maybe always tired of people. <laughs> I don't know. I judge. I forgive me. I judge. Preach brother. <laughs> Spoken from the person who loves people-free Sundays. <laughs> I know you. But you know what? Far more often than not, when we get up and, and make the effort to go. It's amazing how time after time, because we just go, and I'm a pastor. I kind of have to show up. I can't like, you know, hey, I can't make it. When I, I show up. But uh, virtually every time we're coming at, at the end of the that was so good. I'm so glad we came. We, we're, we leave our home group, our small group with glad hearts. <laughs> we went in empty and we come away a little full, uh, encouraged, strengthened in our faith. I think we're tasting of the glad hearts described in Acts 2. And then there's that other word, sincere hearts. The King James Version translated as simplicity of heart. There's, there's a well-known computer acronym that I learned when I was in school. Uh, I think it gets at this meaning. It was called WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. What you see on the screen is what you get. For those of you who you know, wor- began working in computers when it was like DOS, it was a little different. Now we're in Windows. It's What you see is what you get. It says they, they met with sincere hearts, which I think means simplicity of heart. They weren't pretending with one another. They were being real. Somehow they discovered the kind of environment where they could be themselves. I actually think the gospel of Jesus Christ creates that kind of environment where we can be actually freed to not pretend anymore. Like, like I, I hate the fact when some of you get really dressed up and you come to church and you pretend everything's okay. I think the church is the kind of place where you you actually be yourself because the gospel of Jesus Christ says, yes, you are a sinner, but you are saved by grace and not because of of, of anything else that you can put on. And so the gospel frees us to be ourselves and and in in that kind of close environment, it can be safe where you can actually confess sin and you can say, as in our group, I can think of many, many times where, where somebody will just say, I really struggle with that. I don't even know if I've even come close to practicing that Christian principle. You know what that is? Right there, that's confessing sin. <laughs> what a great thing. I, I think that's one of the clues to that person actually discovering freedom in that area. is to actually own up and saying, I don't have, the, I don't have a clue about loving my kids. I really stink at that. That's actually honesty, and I, and I think... The, the sincere hearts actually creates a, a, a place and, and safety and room for us. And I, I, I think this is going to be a big part of who we are as a church. I think, folks, <laughs> that this is going to be a game changer for some of you where you can get to the place where you feel comfortable being yourself with a, another group of Christians. Wow. Isn't that an attractive image of the church painted for us in Acts chapter 2? One where you're connecting deeply with both God and others. I, I know some of you have tasted this here at Hillside. Some of you have. And I, and I don't know uh, about you, but I want more of this. I want to connect more deeply with my maker. I want to connect more deeply with God in worship. I want to find out more about uh, who our God is and give him glory. And And I want to connect more deeply with you. I, I, that's, that's a desire. I hope God is birthing that desire in you that, hey hey, maybe we could just... All together, kind of like lean the ship this way towards connecting more deeply with one another and with God. And you know what I believe is we lean together in this. Um, it's going to be something that the, the neighborhood around notices. Because I, I believe our, our city, the people that live around us are hungry for that kind of authentic connection with God. Where we're being real. We're not faking. We're not holier than thou. Where, where we're actually discovering authentic friendships. People in our neighborhoods are starving for it, I tell you this. And so we want to be a church that connects deeply. Well, then there's Grow Fully, or you could say we have a vision to see men and and women and boys and and girls become fully grown, fully mature, grown up in Jesus. Uh, Many of you know that I have two sons uh, Caleb and Noah, and that I have a dear wife over here, the one who sits in the front row, very enge- angelic personality. Um, now, it's not so obvious, but Angel and I uh, come from different cultures. It's true. <laughs> I'm of, uh, you didn't know this probably, but I'm of more European-Canadian background, and she's more of South Asian background, and, and that's uh, kind of significant. I'm in our family, I'm the pale one in the family, you know, the one who my version of color is red when I get sunburned. That's it for me. But uh, while we do come from different cultures, I almost think that's not the biggest difference between us. The biggest difference between her, she and I isn't even our male female, it's our height differential. I mean, I breathe different air than she does. I'm like six, two, and <laughs> she's five foot. It's quite significant. Uh, And so uh, when we had kids, I I began telling them from a very young age, I said, listen uh, listen, guys, if you grow to be taller than your mother, I'll pay you five bucks. Yeah, like because I think that's not much of an accomplishment, it doesn't really warrant much money. If you grow taller than me, uh, I'll, I'll give you 50 bucks. And I thought it was a pretty safe bet, and yet I think I'm gonna have to start setting aside some money. Because as you can see, they're, they're cr- encroaching on me quite quickly. I might have to, and every week now, it's like week by week, we're having what we call the, mer- the, the measuring ritual, <laughs> where it's like stand up by dad and uh, see how they're growing. And so while I, I'm, I'm uh, perhaps going to be a little sad to part with my $100, I think it's going to be 100 for me, um, as parents, as a dad, I want to see my kids grow. I want to see them become grown-ups. I want to see them mature. I I want to see them get to the place where I can send them somewhere and not worry about them because I know they've become men, that they are taking responsibility for their lives, that they're kind of, you know, grown-up then. Can I tell you, folks, our Heavenly Father has the same desire for you. He has the same desire for you that you would not just grow up physically, but that you would grow up in every dimension of your being, that you'd become a relationally mature person, an emotionally mature person, that you'd get healed from your baggage from the past, the stuff that you've accumulated along the way, that you'd become a more whole person, that, that we'd grow up in Christ, that we'd become fully grown. This is a theme we see repeated in the New Testament The Apostle Peter gives this challenge in 1 Peter 2. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter's talking about putting aside all these childish practices. There's this invitation to crave the pure spiritual milk, so that you may grow up that you be, might become mature in your faith. Apostle Paul says something similar. He says, speak the truth in love. He's talking about living in a small group, in, in community. He says, speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Again, of this idea of growing so fully that we begin more and more to reflect Jesus, who we're made to be a brother and sister of. Now, this whole idea of maturing and and growing fully might seem a little bit abstract, and and so let me flesh this out by drawing on N.T. Wright's excellent book. It's called After You Believe, Why Christian Character Matters, one of the best books I've read in recent years. He's helped me think deeply and practically about this whole idea of growth, especially in the area of our character. Um, He talks about an experience some of us have had. Uh, You visit a, a friend who's really, really sick in the hospital, maybe, they, maybe they've been sick for a long time, and you come away from a visit with your friend and you say, you know what, oh, oh, so-and-so is, is a shadow of his former self. Maybe you say that, just a shadow of his former self. And, and Wright draws this thought out as he thinks about the implications Of Jesus and his life and death and resurrection. As he thinks about it, he says, the good news of our resurrection hope is this, that if you are in Christ, if you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, you are just a shadow of your future self. You see, there's a a real you that is more real than you can even begin to imagine. Uniquely you. You don't realize, some of you that you've been walking with deformity, and, and, and you've been limping in some ways, maybe not externally, but internally, there's some things, you, you've got some coping, coping mechanisms. You're maybe curled up or defensive in ways. There's, there's stuff that, that is hindering you in your, your life and experience, and you don't even know it. You're not even aware. This was, this was business as usual. This has become the way you relate to the world. Uh, just your brokenness fleshed out in, a, in one way, shape, or form. But God made you to uniquely reflect some facet of his glory, some facet of his love. And when you're in Christ, when you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and as you, you live into that more and more and more, you become more uniquely yourself. I love how, how Wright goes on to describe this. He says, he says, evil, despite what the media tells you, makes you boring. It, it, it shuts you in. It makes you a clone of all sorts of other people who are doing much the same tedious sort of stuff. But when you are seized by Jesus and when you are indwelled by his Holy Spirit, he will make you truly yourself. There's a real paradox here because we live in a culture that says you've got to be yourself, you've got to find yourself, you've got to discover yourself. And Jesus says, yes, you need to do that, but... But the way you're going to do that is going to be radically different than the world tells you how to do it. It's, not a, a, it, it's got to have a, a gospel cross-shaped design to it. You, you, you find yourself not by finding yourself. You find yourself actually by losing yourself, by laying down yourself, but by dying and rising again. But Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and pick up the cross and follow me. That's the upside-down way of Jesus, but it's the way to life and all of its fullness. So we're meant to grow like Jesus, to become what Jesus has made us to be. But this doesn't just happen. There will be things to overcome. There will be certain muscles that need to be grown. Uh, There'll be a, a training process that needs to take place. There'll need to be certain habits that become second nature to us. We're talking about growing in our character. And this is important because um, our development as human beings, you know, <laughs> our growth doesn't just happen. Actually, it seems like if we just let it happen, uh, it, you can actually regress because you are what you habitually do. <laughs> I mean, think about this. You know what the difference is between a virtue and a vice? I, I mean, anyone can learn a vice. How? Just going to neutral. Just drift along. Just, just kind of agree with what our culture's selling. You know, just live life. And, and, and you'll find yourself in, in its grip. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that it's actually called a vice because it can have this hold of you. Our habits can lead us to the place where those practices actually trap us. You don't have to try. It'll happen. But character, good virtue, you, you actually have to think about it. You need to make a decision to be this sort of person now. Um, Let me give you an example. Courage, for example. Courage doesn't just happen. You know, soldiers, when they go to uh, boot camp and they train so rigorously, why do the the generals make them do that? Why do they have to train so hard with this little cadre, this little group? Well, Well, they do that because some of what they're doing is training them in courage so that when they're actually in a dangerous situation, Courage will just naturally take place. It'll be second nature to them. Really, courage, as, as N.T. Wright describes it, is like when, when, you, make, uh, when you take a, a thousand small decisions consciously thought out to put somebody else's safety ahead of your own so that on the, hundred and, and the thousand and first occasion when someone has just thrown a, a hand grenade in the middle of the group, your first instinct, you will unhesitantly, instinctively, run in and grab that grenade to throw it away, or you'll, you'll jump on it to give your own life to protect your friends. You won't even have to think about it. Can I say nobody does that by nature? It's second nature. Second nature, as, as Wright describes it, is what happens when you've kind of front-loaded your moral thinking. I choose to be this today, and I will choose to be this tomorrow, and it's, it's very hard, but that's the way character is formed. That's why we're gonna, as a church, continue to encourage us in practicing spiritual rhythms, spiritual practices. Right now there's a great example that that's, I think Ill- illustrates this that's in theaters right now, and, and the film portrays an account of something just incredible that happened on January 15th, 2009. A, a, a plane took off in, from New York LaGuardia's airport And I could tell you about it. Why don't we just watch a clip of the making of this this film? I played Chesley Sullenberger, who uh, landed a plane in the Hudson with 155 people on board on January 15, 2009. Sully was an accomplished pilot in every way, shape, and form. He started flying when he was 14 years old. Because he had been flying as long as he has, it was a good thing that Sully was on that particular trip. Mayday, mayday, this is Cactus 1549. There's lots of thrust on both engines. He had all the right experience at the right moment. My aircraft. Your aircraft. And his instincts kicked in, and he was essentially flying a powerless glider with the lives of 155 people in his hands. He turned that tragedy on its head. Off your right side is Teterboro Airport. We can't make it. We're gonna end up in the Hudson. I got an A320 diving for the river. Because of Sully, all 155 people survived. It was an extraordinary moment. It was such a positive event out of a bad situation. Incredible, incredible scene. Chelsea, uh, Captain Chelsea Sullenberger had, had just two minutes to react to this situation where he lost both his engines. If he'd taken the time in those moments to, to go to the rule book or the manual and, and figure out what to do in emergency, that, that plane would have, would have crashed into the city, taken all the lives on board and probably lives in the streets as well. That, that's what would have happened. Uh, if he'd just, he just been a new trainee that was uh, there on their, their first day, on, uh, you know, at the controls of that plane somehow, who knows what would have happened in the, those moments? Because Captain Sully was a 30-year experienced pilot, uh, an instructor. He was even an experienced gliding instructor. In that two minutes, he did all kinds of things, all kinds of decisions he made in order to navigate that plane, to, 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 to bank it with no, no engines in a very, very tight turn, and, and then flatten it out at just the right moment so that, so that they would land perfectly. And apparently, when, when Sully uh, said over the radio that, that they were going to be going down in the Hudson. The air traffic controller just assumed that they were crashing into the river with the loss of all lives. That was the assumption. But it didn't. It landed flat because he'd done what needed to be done up front (laughs) over a period of years so that when it really counted, he could really do it by second nature. (laughs) That's character. That's part of what it looks like to grow into who God has made you to be. And if, I'd say this, if we're going to offer or have anything to offer to our world, we're going to have to continue to grow. We're going to have to continue to mature, to train in such a way as to become like Christ. That's really why I'm, I'm so excited about our, our uh, fall group program and what we're going to be studying because we're going we're to be jumping into it next Sunday as we think about setting goals for our lives. But we'll look at how God wants to change us and grow our character, and, and, and we'll do that decision after decision after decision. So connect deeply, grow fully, and serve passionately. Uh, 1 Peter 4 is a great picture and instruction the Apostle uh, Peter gives about serving. He says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peter is saying that each of us has a gift, that we've been entrusted with a gift, uh, an ability, a talent that we've been given, and we're stewards of that gift. Like we can either spend it and, on ourselves, or we can uh, use it for God's glory and, and and for the sake of his kingdom. I mean, we have kind of those kind of choices. We have that gift. And we see lots of people in our lives actually squandering their gift, don't you? I mean, you bump into people all the time. You go, I, I, don't you wish that person was, was doing this for God's glory? Don't you wish? I mean, that person, they can make money, but they're spending it all on themselves. Do they really need another house? Do they really need X number of cars? Could they not like transform a, a nation by what they're doing? We're to serve others, and he tells us how to serve. This is good news, too, with the strength he provides. Isn't that good news? This is not a, him asking, to you just get busy, get working, and it's gonna be really difficult. No, he says, I'm gonna actually empower you to do the work. I'm gonna encourage you, and then why do we serve? So that, as, as Peter says, and that what we've been saying, for the glory of God, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ you probably never heard of Matthew Eldridge. He's appeared in numerous high-profile movies, films, but you'll never see his face or hear his voice. That's because Eldridge serves as a body double. Imagine that kind of role. Not long back, his hands and his feet and his body were used as stand-ins for actor Jason Bateman in the film Identity Thief. It's interesting to me how, how Eldridge, who is a Christian, explains his role, especially When he performs his role, he gets none of the attention or none of the fame. (laughs) Listen to this. He says, you've certainly never heard of me, though you may have seen my hands on screen. He He asks, how many of us know the names of anyone behind the scenes in Hollywood? I mean, the editors or the directors of photography, camera operators. He says, great films rely not just on acting talent, but a team of talented individuals who work in lighting, gaffing, sound, special effects, painting, props and so on and that's just production he says well close to a hundred crew members tirelessly work 15 hours a day so jason bateman can shine they have an understanding that their work will be underappreciated and likely go unnoticed by those who are watching the show but they do it anyway why because they love being part of the creative process there's something magical about creating something collectively larger than ourselves. That, that's how it's supposed to be in the church, folks. Churches are built with the hands of, of capable people who never get credit or receive recognition for the work they do. Why? They don't need the credit because they're giving the glory to God. <laughs> they really are. Their satisfaction comes from knowing that they helped to build something beautiful for the kingdom of God. You know, and, and, and as we consider the brokenness in our world, as the brokenness that we bump into every day in our lives, in our city, uh, as we think of injustice and, and poverty and needs around the world, it can be overwhelming. You, you kind of think, like, what can I do? And it can be paralyzing where we want to almost do nothing. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You don't have to do everything. You really don't. But you can do something. You can do something. What you do matters because you carry a weight of glory. I like what Nelson Mandela said about mission, or vision, I should say. He said, action without vision is only passing time. Vision without action is only daydreaming. But vision with action can change the world. Serving God passionately, taking what we've been learning as we connect with God and one another... Uh, as we grow in our character, as we grow to be more like Jesus, more fully into who God crafted us to be, serving becomes the action, the great expression of our faith. Serving is love in action. And Paul said, if you can have all kinds of great ideas, you you can know a lot, you can be very smart and be very busy, but if you have not love, it's worthless. You're bankrupt without love. Um, one of my roles, aside from being pastor here, is to help facilitate the Tri-City Ministerial, our local pastors connecting group, our association. We meet once a month, and, and I, I love being part of that group and walking alongside other leaders in our community. And uh, I'm, that's why I'm really excited about this United in Prayer event that's happening on Saturday. I hope I'm actually going to be there, and I'm actually going to be leading one of the sites, and I, I would love to see some hillsiders. I know we got women away at a retreat, some of you anyway, but come and join me and let's pray for an hour for our city. I think that'd be a great thing. Um, but you know what the motto of our pastor's group is? I love our motto. It's really simple. Serving better together. Serving better together. And here's the theory. It's good when we serve. It's even better when we serve together. <laughs> and here's the kind of the, the kind of genius, I think, of the local church. We all gather together we, as we, as we, we kind of, bring what we have, we kind of, you know, what do you have? Well, you, you just lay out your gift, your talent, your money, it, all that you are, you kind of say, hey, I'm in, you know, what do you need? We all, we all gather together and say, you, you need that? I've got that. You know, somebody, you know, you, you, you need, I've got this, let's let's work together. And next thing you know, that you've got this momentum and this critical mass where you can do far more together than you can ever do apart. I, again, I, I think, We could have sponsored, with the money we raised, we could have sponsored a whole whack of kids overseas, but instead we decided to pool our money and we actually saw the transformation through God's grace of an entire village, an entire community, because we pooled our resources. That's the genius of the local church. And you know what? When we do it together, and can I say this again, when we do it not for our glory or our fame, but when we do it for his name and for his glory, awesome, awesome things can happen. The world can be changed, and we get to be a part of that. Isn't that cool? Can I ask you this morning, are you in? Are you, are you, are you going to join us on this vision? I, I, it's not perfect. I, I don't know. You, let's critique the words if you want. I mean, we can discuss that, but I think it's in the ballpark of what we need to be doing. I think it's generally something worth, I, I don't know about you, but I'm going to give my life to this. I, I'll give my life to this. Are you in? Let's do it. Let's just not play the game of church. Let's actually live this genius creation of God. He knows how we're made and wired, and, and, and goes, you're not going to flourish on your own. You're not going to change the world on your own. Let's do it together. Connecting deeply and growing fully and serving passionately all for the glory of our God. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe this morning just uh, before we pray, if if God has been saying you, you know what, I've been on the margins. I've been sort of half-hearted when it comes to to Christian community to what God's doing at Hillside. I, I, you know, I mean, I serve a little, I give kind of a, a tip, <laughs> not really a tithe of my life. <laughs> you know, I, I, I do something to make me feel better, but I'm not really in. And God, you just hear that invitation this morning to, to say, for you to respond with the words, I'm in. Maybe in your own heart, you could just say to God right now, I'm in God, I wanna go where you want me to go, I want to follow your lead, I want to, to live as you made me to live. Just invite him. Just, just say, God, I think it could be the most profound prayer you pray if you were to say, God, I'm in. Whatever that means, I'm in. And so, God, we pray you'd forgive us for our half hearted measures, Lord. We have dreams. We have dreams for our community, we have dreams for our neighborhood, for, for the world. And sometimes we dream too little for our own lives, what you might want to do in each of, an, each of us. And, and, and maybe, God, we're half-hearted about it, but God, if we have dreams, and even if they're just even, even whiffs of a dream, how much greater, how much more powerful is the dream you have for us? How much, how much more perfect is the dream you have for us? And so, God, we want to to step into your dream for us, God. We want to respond and we want to follow you. So we pray this morning, Father, Son, and Spirit, teach us what it means to connect deeply, to connect deeply with you, to connect deeply with one another, to to have the kind of relationships here at Hillside where we might experience this, this joy and this authenticity in the way that we relate to one another. And Father, we don't want to be deformed in our maturing and growing. We want to be fully grown up. That's our desire to become more and more the people that you've called us to be. We pray you'd shape us in your image and into the character of Jesus. Help us to cooperate with you in that very good work. And Lord, by your grace (laughs) and your mercy... And through your love, would you teach us what it looks like to serve passionately, to offer what we've been given, uh, to steward our gifts well, that we might serve not not half-heartedly, but we might serve passionately, to serve each other and your world, that together you might change us and change the neighborhood. (laughs) Help us to do this by your strength and for the glory of your name.